to this week's Money Metals podcast, helping gold and silver investors during these turbulent times. Now, this week's market wrap with commentary and analysis from Money Metals Exchange, the company named best overall precious metals dealer by Investopedia. Welcome to this week's Market Wrap podcast. I'm Mike Gleason. Coming up in a few minutes is a special interview with Money Metal CEO Stefan Gleason covering all the latest developments on the sound money battlefront. With state legislators now in session, there's a ton of activity with respect to precious metals sales taxes, income taxes, and much more. You won't want to miss this broad sweeping interview, especially since one of these policy battles may be happening in your very own state. But first, here's this week's market update. As Federal Reserve Chairman Jay Powell expresses indecision over interest rates, metals markets are also exhibiting uncertainty. Gold continues to hold up relatively well, but none of the precious metals are showing signs that they are quite ready yet to launch higher. Mainstream investor sentiment toward metals is in the dumps. Exchange-traded instruments linked to gold have seen net investor outflows for several months in a row. And demand for retail bullion has continued to be soft, except among regular long-term accumulators and true bargain hunters. The speculators and momentum chasers are going all in on stocks, Bitcoin, and other intangible assets that are now very expensive. Hard assets are looking very cheap by comparison. Eventually the tables will turn and sentiment will shift. Value investors who buy low now will have the opportunity to sell high down the road. As of this Friday recording, the gold market is posting a weekly loss of 1% to bring spot prices to $2,030 an ounce. Silver is off 1.2% this week to trade at $22.60 an ounce. Platinum is giving up 2.8% to come in at $882. And finally, palladium prices continue to get pounded down another 8.5% for the week to trade at $901 per ounce. Yes, the pummeling in the palladium market continues. On Sunday, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell gave an interview to 60 Minutes. He left the central bank's next policy move up in the air, downplayed the risks of bank failures, and noted that the U.S. government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. He also admitted the Fed has gotten some important things wrong under his leadership. Was the Fed too slow to recognize inflation in 2021? So in hindsight, it would have been better to... to to have tightened policy earlier. We thought that the economy was so dynamic that it would fix itself fairly quickly. And we thought that inflation would go away fairly quickly without an intervention by us. And so in the fourth quarter of 21, it became clear that inflation was not transitory in the sense that I mentioned. You seem confident in the banks and yet the Silicon Valley Bank, second largest failure in U.S. history. Did the Fed miss that? So... Yes, we uh, we did, and we forthrightly uh, saw that we needed to do better. So we've spent a lot of time working on ways to make supervision more effective, and also to 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 adapt regulation to a more to a modern context in which a bank run can happen so much faster than it could have even 20 years ago. Powell admitted that the bank runs can happen much quicker in the age of social media, online banking, and exotic financial instruments that are leveraged onto bank balance sheets. But he says not to worry because this time the Fed has everything under control, unlike the last time and the time before. 
Powell does perhaps deserve some credit for owning up to the Fed's recent forecasting fails, but he wasn't pressed by interviewer Scott Pelley to explain why central bankers should continue to be entrusted with the power to set interest rates and create currency out of thin air. They have a lousy track record of anticipating major adverse moves in the economy and banking system, but even if the world's most brilliant economists ran the Fed, they still wouldn't know more than the market itself and they still wouldn't be able to fix broken U.S. fiscal policy. Powell laments that the government is borrowing too much, but insists that it's not his role to do anything about it. How do you assess the national debt? We mostly try very hard not to comment on fiscal policy and, and uh, you know, instruct Congress on how to do their job when actually they have oversight over us. But is the national debt a danger to the economy, in your view? In the long run, the U.S. is on an unsustainable fiscal path. The U.S. federal government is on an unsustainable fiscal path. And that just means that the debt is growing faster than the economy. Neither Congress nor the Biden administration feel any particular urgency to get the deficit under control. That's because they know they have a buyer of last resort for any new debt that's issued, that being the Federal Reserve. If Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen called Jerome Powell to tell him the government needed an emergency cash infusion to avert defaults, Powell would, of course, provide it. So despite the Fed chairman's vague and passive calls for fiscal responsibility, he will continue to enable politicians to spend and borrow recklessly, and everyone in Washington knows it. Elected officials won't change their ways until the incentives and constraints change. They have little incentive to stick their necks out and oppose programs that have fervent supporters and backing from big donors. One of the few members of Congress who does this is Thomas Massey of Kentucky. He gets called all sorts of nasty names in the media and by his own colleagues for saying no to politically sacred spending. Most recently, he was branded an anti-Semite for opposing aid to Israel. It's just not worth it for most politicians to endure the attacks and risk their careers for the sake of trying to contain spending. Under a classical gold standard, Congress would face an external constraint on how much it could spend. Any debt it issued would be represented in promises to pay in gold. The gold supply cannot be expanded at will, like the supply of fiat currency. Of course, gold standards have their critics and their flaws as well. But ever since President Richard Nixon ended the ability of foreign governments to convert dollars into gold, federal finances have been on a dangerous trajectory. Those who long for a return to sound fiscal policy should understand that it begins with sound money. And now, without further delay, let's get right to this week's special interview. And today's guest is the CEO of Money Metals and the chairman of the Sound Money Defense League, an organization focusing on restoring gold and silver to its historic role as America's constitutional money. We're going to be discussing the progress they're making. Could a gold standard spread worldwide and much more? It's Stefan Gleason. Great to have you on the show. Hey, Jesse. Great to be here. Thank you. I want to start off with an overview of the Sound Money Defense League. Your mission seems very admirable. Restoring gold and silver as money, of course, it's a dream of mine. It's a, it's a dream of so many guests that come on this show. How are you working to make it a reality? Yeah, well, the Sound Money Defense League uh, was a project that we launched uh, with the backing of Money Metals Exchange about eight years ago 
Um, and, I, you know, I, I have a public policy background. I was in, in Washington, D.C. for 15 years before I went into business and working in a grassroots lobby organization and working on freedom type issues at the federal level primarily. Um, and, you know, I, I looked at the, the state of play, you know, with respect to sound money and saw that there really wasn't anyone kind of organizing and, and, and providing grassroots and other leadership around the sound money issue. And yet, of course, in the last 15 years, there's been so many occurrences that have pointed up the need for, for sound money, the problems with the fiat money system, the Keynesian economic system we have. Gold and silver has become, you know, much more popular. That continues. And uh, of course, there was a kind of a, a boomlet around the Ron Paul revolution for sound money, and, and then it sort of dissipated. So back in 2015, uh, we got serious about committing resources and efforts into spawning sound money legislation across the country at the state level, working on federal bills, and uh, really taking that grassroots component and bringing it to the fight. Um, through, you know, my organizing sort of background and also with my large money metals exchange customer list, we have, you know, lots of people that care deeply about sound money. They're taking action in their own personal lives by buying gold and silver. And we wanted to give them an opportunity to help us persuade politicians to pass bills at the state level or the federal level that promote and expand sound money principles. Uh, we also are working in education, you know, like educating the public with content, um, we have a scholarship program where we have about 100 students every year who apply for college, you know, uh, uh, tuition scholarships uh, based on their, you know, providing sound money uh, essays and other information in response to prompts and questions. We had a lot of AI, uh, a lot of AI written essays this time around. It was very interesting. It was a little discouraging, actually, so we were able to weed those out. But uh, so anyway, we're, we're trying to promote sound money uh, policies at the state and federal level, mostly through legislation. Great. Well, you have something called the Sound Money Index, which the Sound Money Defense League created. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So the Sound Money Index is basically, you know, a catalog of all the policies that we see that states can enact that promote or expand sound money principles. And it's actually published every year. We've been publishing it for the last... Uh, I guess six, seven years. And it basically goes down the list. There's about 14 policies that we've identified. We've added a couple over the years from the original group, but we've identified that that basically would be what a state can and should do on sound money. About half of it deals with taxation, uh, whether there's a sales tax on the purchase of precious metals, whether there's income tax on the sale of precious metals. Um, and that's fundamentally important because, you know, if we're gonna re-monetize gold and silver, we have to remove that friction around the buying and selling and spending of of it. You know, it's no it's not an investment. It's it's a money. And when it's taxed both on both sides, it's it's you know, it's a significant impediment to remonetizing or using or even acquiring gold and silver. So about half of the scoring of the sound money index awards points to states on whether or not they have a sales tax exemption or an income tax exemption. But then there's other aspects like whether a state has uh, acknowledged that gold and silver is money as prescribed by Article 1, Section 10 of the U.S. Constitution, uh, whether a state has uh, specific enforcement of gold clause contracts, which are arrangements between individuals to, that are denominated in gold, used to be a common thing. It's kind of coming back as an idea, a way of making a long-term contract with somebody 
that's not denominated in a currency that's being devalued dramatically that kind of screws over one side of the contract. An alternative to that would be to have a long-term contract in a stable money like gold or silver and then have courts enforce that you know, without allowing a substitution of, of Federal Reserve notes, for example. Uh, whether a state has a depository system or uh, uh, either to you know, uh, allow or regulate you know, or permit depositories to operate or even a state-sponsored depository like they have in Texas, there's points awarded for laws around that. Whether a state owns uh, gold or silver in its reserves or in its pension fund um, to protect the taxpayers and protect the pensioners. So that's something we score. Uh, we also look at whether a state has precious metals dealer and investor harassment laws on the books. And so there's some things that states have done, for example, requiring if you sell gold to a local dealer, you have to provide your ID, you can only be paid electronically, uh, no cash is illegal, uh, you know, you have to be over 18. You know, there's some really, really crazy laws out there in some of these states kind of restricting uh, dealers and, and investors in, in their conduct of in a precious metals transaction, forcing dealers to hold on to gold for 14 days. You know, if they receive it from the public, they can't sell it, stuff like that. Um, and then more recently, there's been interest in creating like a specie legal tender payment system at the state level. We got a model bill that we provide a couple states that are considering this item. So there are 100 points awarded. The top of the SEO, so it's in grade, but it's of the, of the bunch. Um, and the worst, uh, the worst states, well, I'll mention the top five, Wyoming, South Dakota, Alaska, New Hampshire, and Arkansas are the top five on the sounds. And the bottom five are California, Minnesota, Maine, New Jersey, and Vermont. And so they're basically, they pretty much have across the board. So this is a tool that we've been using to sort of prompt state legislators kind of competitively between to try to improve their score. And this, along with everything else, we've seen really an explosion in interest in sound money legislation, at least at the state level, probably over the last five years. So it's very encouraging and it's just part of the, part of the toolkit. Yeah, very fascinating. Give us some details on the progress you've made in the United States so far. Uh, and any milestones you think people should be watching out for here in 2024 from the Sound Money Defense League? Right. So the last few years, we've seen an acceleration in bills being in introduced, and we've seen an acceleration in the success of passing bills. Um, last year, in fact, we were involved in five bills that passed at the state level. Uh, specifically in Oregon, they got rid of the uh, commercial activity tax. Mississippi, finally enacted after several years of efforts and grassroots uh, you know, involvement in it and enacted a sales tax exemption. Tennessee enacted a bill that said the state treasurer can and should hold a certain amount of gold in reserve for the, for the taxpayers. Um, Arkansas passed a bill ending the income tax and as well as acknowledging gold and silver as legal tender in the state. Uh, and Florida uh, actually repealed one of those dealer harassment laws that we uh, we just mentioned, or I just mentioned. Um, so, you know, the biggest successes we've been having have been on the sales tax front. Uh, uh, about 10 years ago, there were about 32 states that exempted gold and silver purchases from the sales tax. Right now it's 43. So there's seven states left. 
every single one of them is surrounded by states that have an exemption. So they're on an island, they're losing business, people are leaving the state to buy gold and silver, um, they're losing conventions. So all these arguments we've been making have become, been making, becoming stronger and stronger. Uh, in addition to you know, the recent inflation, uh, that's also been a nice you know, tailwind to our efforts because of course you wanna do things to help people hedge against inflation and taking away the sales tax on gold and silver purchases is one easy way of doing that. It's also dub double taxation. You're taxing it you know, on the front end, you're taxing it on the back end. There's a lot of great arguments and these have been resonating and that's really been kind of the, the number one area of success. Um, the second kind of area is income tax and there's now 11 states that don't have income tax on gold and silver. This year, there's, um, there's eight states that have already proposed bills uh, to end the income tax on gold and silver sales. Uh, so. You know, we're kind of moving from the sales tax battle, which isn't won yet, but it's it's getting close and we're seeing kind of an acceleration of, of passing these. And then we're moving to the income tax front and moving to the gold reserves, state gold reserves front. So I think this year uh, there's the potential of several new sales tax exemptions. Um, Wisconsin, Kentucky, New Jersey, Hawaii, and uh, Vermont, uh, as well as a local uh, a local sales tax exemption in Alaska. All of those bills are under consideration. We have very high hopes for Kentucky and Wisconsin. We actually passed New Jersey through both chambers unanimously. The governor vetoed it two weeks ago uh, as part of kind of an end of session vetoing that he was doing. The bill's back, we're hopeful. That's a very strong, you know, kind of left-wing Democrat state. And yet this issue has support, at least among the legislature. So. You know, we're working away. Uh, it's becoming kind of overwhelming, frankly, the number of bills. There's so many bills popping up, many of which we didn't draft or weren't involved in initially, but then are asked to be involved. So there's a lot of opportunities to engage on this right now at the state level. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that does sound exciting. And you're obviously focused on the U.S., which makes sense because otherwise you'd be spreading yourself too thin. But what actions do you think it would take to bring about a gold standard worldwide? Well, I unfortunately, I think it's going to be kind of part of a breakdown or a crisis that leads to that. Uh, it's not going to be done proactively. Um, and, you know, maybe it'll it'll there'll be an opportunity some country will see the opportunity and be one of the first to to remonetize gold, you know, officially in their in their country. But I think that, um, you know, we're doing our part as a nation to kind of bully the world into thinking about these things. I mean, for example, we weaponized the SWIFT system. Uh, for the first time ever. We didn't even do that in the Cold War against Russia or the Soviet Union. But a year ago, we locked them out. We told them their gold bars are not permitted in the West. They won't be accepted. We're just pushing them into creating their own system. Um, you know, these Rubicons that we are crossing is, is really kind of making people, other countries around the world kind of think, what, what if we get crossways we need to think about how we get out of this system. And so I think we're, we're doing our part to kind of encourage the world to go in that direction. Um, it, I, think it, I think it's gonna be difficult. Um, my, my, I think one of my theories is that the, uh, eventually in a crisis, the central banks, or really the central bank of the central banks, the International Monetary Fund, probably during a crisis will look at adding gold to the, strate the strategic drawing rights or special drawing rights system um, as a way of trying to shore things up and, and kind of create the sort of super super currency. 
I think that's the kind of thing we're going to see kind of at the formal level internationally. But I think it's important to think, you know, people, they don't have to be have despair about the situation. Any one person can go on their own gold standard. We don't need the government to do it. We don't we we can do it privately. We can make our own arrangements privately. Obviously, for the whole system, we've got a problem. And uh, but that doesn't mean that we can't protect ourselves. Uh, and so, you know, I don't really look to governments for the solution here. I, I look to the free market and I look to the people. And do you see blockchain technology playing a role in the process of restoring gold as sound money? We've also seen projects such as the gold backs, which are bills with a very small amount of gold equal to their face value. Different people have different opinions on this. I've spoken to Peter Schiff. He thinks that blockchain technology will be involved. Alistair McLeod, on the other hand, says blockchain is rubbish and that it's not necessary. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are there and on the, the methods you see being used ultimately. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary, and I do think it will play a role. But I can tell you that there's been, you know, projects for the last ten or fifteen years trying to to create a crypto backed by gold, and none of them are really succeeding. And I think, you know, you don't need that to to have gold and to to, to transact in gold. But um, the, the the bigger problem is is that um, there really isn't the business case right now. And that doesn't mean that there won't be. But, you know, the idea that, you know, you've heard of Gresham's law, which is that, you know, the bad money in circulation pushes the good money out. So that's happened in our system. The bad money, the Federal Reserve note, all of the fiat money, bad money has pushed out gold and silver into private hoards to no longer be used as a, as a, as a transactional currency, but really as a form of savings. And so these projects that want to re-enable gold and silver to be spent easily isn't, you know, there isn't the business case for that. I'm going to spend my Federal Reserve notes until nobody accepts them anymore. I'm not going to spend my gold, you know, unless I have to, or, you know, I'm not even wanting to sell my gold. Obviously, that's kind of the same thing. When you're spending, you're, you're selling it. And then, of course, there's also taxation involved in the selling federally and in some, in many states. Um, and so why, you know, spend it when I can spend Federal Reserve notes. So I think, you know, while these are admirable projects and I, I believe in free markets for all these things, and I, I think there's a business, there's there's utility of, of crypto, but I don't think there's a business case right now. That doesn't mean there won't be someday, say in a total breakdown, uh, but then in a total breakdown, are you going to want to be fumbling around with, you know, crypto backed gold token, or are you going to want, you know, something more more real in your possession or control? So I think that, you know, and the gold back is interesting. I'll mention that we sell the gold back at moneymetals.com. Uh, we're one of the biggest sellers of it. We love it, you know, for what it is. And what it is is a fractional form of gold that's useful in the sense that, you know, you can't have a, a, a thousand ounce, uh, one thousandth of one ounce gold coin. Impossible. Now, silver kind of plays that role as the smaller fractional money. And so that's really what that's for. But in terms of being a product that doesn't exist, very fractionalized gold produced relatively efficiently. The premium is given what you're the technology and the amount of gold and the size of it. The premium is actually quite low. Uh, but would I put a whole bunch of my own money in that huge amount of my money, you know, like savings or whatever? I, I wouldn't. It's, it's more of a, a, a little bit of a novelty. But it, but also I like it in the sense that it is a good messaging tool. So, you know, we've been brainwashed into thinking that the Federal Reserve note is money. Everybody, oh, money, yeah, that's that paper thing that folds it put in your wallet. 
So then all of a sudden you get a gold back and you and you're able to to sort of you know it clicks for people that wait this is money this is like money because it's what I recognize as money this flat thing that I put in my wallet but it actually has the gold in it wow you know so it's a it's a sound money messaging tool so I really like it for those two reasons um, but you know and I think it's you know just like anything else if people want to use it and it has utility and 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 it, and it grows and in, in acceptance great that's the, that's what we want we want more things out there we want free markets we want the market to choose people to choose but in terms of you know uh, the way to really invest in gold and silver is to buy efficiently like bars and rounds you know larger larger increments to the extent you can afford and then you know keep the fractional stuff kind of kind of small in terms of your overall allocation but anyway that's that's a long way of answering both of your questions but i, I think it's there's promise to all these things but you know their day has not come a lot of useful insights there. I want to switch over to central bank digital currencies, obviously a hot topic. We see a lot of scary tales being uh, propagated on social media that governments are going to be getting ready to release a central bank digital currency. Perhaps they're setting up a collapse of the system. Perhaps what's happening, for example, in the US with the debt-based system is no accident. These people aren't incompetent. They're in fact malicious. This is one theory out there. Um, how much credence do you give to the possibility of a CBDC being issued? And um, how do you factor that into your efforts at the Sound Money Defense League? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of credence to it. There's clearly pilot projects. You know, China is kind of at the forefront of this. And we know that, you know, what, what kind of totalitarians they are. And certainly uh, central banks would love to be able to, you know, control uh, everybody's bank account, understand how everybody's spending the money. So with the tax authorities, you know, they could airdrop money when they need to do a stimulus. They could just airdrop it right into their CBDC wallet. Uh, they could, you know, shape their spending habits. They could, uh, you know, basically a mechanism of social control. So we know that this is something totalitarians are interested in. They're already doing it in other parts of the world. Um, there's federal legislation Congressman Mooney has that we're helping with that, you know, has some some support, co-sponsors. It's called the, the No Pilot uh, no pilot. It's the Pilot Prevention Act for CBDCs, basically, to say no federal money will be spent on researching or preparing such a system. Uh, I know that, uh, you know, President Trump or uh, former President Trump has come out and said that he would support a ban on CBDCs. I think it's a real thing. I think it'll take a lot of time, um, but I think it's something to be concerned about. Um, and at the state level, there are three bills right now already or, or at least three states, I should say, that have that have taken or are taking action in their state to basically say we will not recognize a CBDC uh, in our state under the Universal Commercial Code or you know enforce it in state court as a as a, a valid payment. And so, you know, Florida did that via executive order, um, uh, Governor DeSantis. Nebraska has a bill right now that also exempts the uh, capital gains tax that we're working on that includes that component. North Carolina is uh, has passed through one house a bill that basically bans CBDC uh, for any government sort of transaction in the state of North Carolina. So yeah, I think it's a real thing. Uh, I think we need to be worried about it. I think it'll take time, uh, but uh, definitely something that we we want to focus on. And I want to touch on an article posted on Money Metals at the end of 2023 where you wrote about Congressman Alex Mooney requesting that the Federal Reserve inform the people if nations are repatriating gold from the U.S. 
Could you break that story down for us and explain why it's important that people are aware of it? Uh, Congressman Mooney, of course, he's been one of the leaders on the sound money issue since Ron Paul left Congress. He's, he's has several bills, the Gold Standard Restoration Act, the Monetary Metals Tax Neutrality Act, which ends the federal income tax on gold and silver. Um, also the audit, the gold bill, uh, the, you know, gold reserves haven't been uh, audited since the, the 1950s, and at least in a, a full and credible manner. Um, and so he's done other things, uh, including projects where he asks bureaucracies tough questions. And, and frankly, that's been some of the most interesting stuff we've seen happen at the federal level is some, some of the answers and or non-answers that we get to some of these questions. Um, so he recently reached out to the Fed and said, you know, basically there's a, there is a concern or at least there's been a rumor that the um, that other central banks are again reclaiming some of the gold that they have stored in New York by the New York Fed. Um, now, the, the background, you, you may recall in 2013, the Bundesbank in Germany uh, asked for the repatriation of about 300 tons of its gold that it had safeguarded to the Federal Reserve. And the initial answer was, it's gonna take us seven years to give you the gold back, which was kind of interesting. Everybody was sort of intrigued by that because it's supposed to be there in a segregated container. Why would it take seven years? I mean, in my, my you know, we, we own Money Metals Depository. We have about 10,000 storage customers. They're all in segregated containers. There's no reason for any delay in getting their gold back to them. It's sitting there, it's theirs, it's segregated. They're, so why would it take seven years? So that was very interesting. Um, they ultimately, the Federal Reserve returned it in three years, but still, you know, it's, it's unacceptable. Um, made you think that maybe they had to go round it up or maybe been leased out or, or, or part of some sort of financial alchemy, which, you know, is a concern. So uh, Mooney wrote to the Federal Reserve, said, we, we want to know if there have been recent requests by any central bank to return the gold and silver uh, or gold, I should say, that's in the Fed's um, care. We haven't gotten an answer yet. Um, I know that Mooney's office just followed up with the Fed this week and they were told the Fed has a big backlog of requests. I'm sure this isn't a high priority to, you know, put it out there that, oh, yeah, there, there are other countries who are concerned about having all their gold in the clutches of the U.S. government and the Federal Reserve. Uh, so we'll see what kind of answer we get. Um, he also asked um, whether the Fed's comment and the Treasury's comment that they did not intervene in the foreign exchange markets between July and September 2023. He was asking, does that also apply to whether or not you intervene in the gold market? Because they always play this little game. Oh yeah, they, you know, they apparently they're willing to admit intervention in every market except for the gold market. So it's it's hard to believe they're not. Uh, you know, they don't publicly disclose it. But I guess as uh, an old Federal Reserve uh, member said, the 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 last duty of a central banker is to tell the truth. It's not the first duty; it's the last. So uh, you know, we'll see what kind of answers he's he's going to get. Yeah, absolutely. I like that quote. Uh, and on that note, happy to end it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Stefan. Uh, for those who want to learn more about both the Sound Money Defense League and Money Metals, where's the best place to go online? Yeah, go to soundmoneydefense.org. That's the Sound Money Defense League website. There's an email sign up there. Um, also, if you go to moneymetals.com and get on the email list there, you will be alerted to the state legislative battles that are going on. And we send out literally millions of emails every year, you know, when we have, uh, you know, state legislation going on to let people know 
that they can take action. Here's the bill. Here's who to contact in your state legislature. And those efforts, frankly, are the reason, mo mostly the reason, if not entirely the reason, that we've had the success at the state level. The grassroots has been very effective. And so people can participate if they get on the Money Metals list. Uh, we'll have your zip code. We'll know which state you're in. And we can alert you about all these upcoming bills. So I would encourage people to go to moneymetals.com to get on the list there. Great. Well, I'll put a link in the description below. Thank you once again for coming on the show, Stefan, and sharing all your knowledge with the audience. Thanks, Jesse. Great to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview and that will do it for this week. Be sure to check back next Friday for our next weekly Market Wrap podcast. And of course, please remember to check out our newly launched Wednesday podcast of the Money Metals Midweek Memo if you haven't already been doing so. Join Mike Meharry for that each week to get some extra commentary and analysis on metals, markets, and money. Just go to moneymetals.com or find that on whatever podcast platform you prefer. Until then, this has been Mike Leeson with Money Metals Exchange. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's Money Metals podcast. Be sure to come back next week. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. For answers to all of your questions, or to discreetly and securely buy or sell gold or silver coins, bars, and rounds, call 1-800-800-1865 or visit www.moneymetals.com. Our knowledgeable and no-pressure specialists are standing by to answer your call during business hours, Monday through Saturday. Or you can lock in your order online, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Again, visit us at www.moneymetals.com or call 1-800-800-1865.